This podcast is sponsored by Reformation Heritage Books and the new release by author Jonathan Landry Cruz, The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ. There's more at the conclusion of today's program. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. As worship leaders, we have the opportunity, especially early in the service, to shape that service so that our worshipers' anticipation and reception to the word preached is aided. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. My name is Jonathan Master and I am joined, as always, by James Dolezal, co-host and friend extraordinaire. James, how are you? Extraordinaire. That's great. I'm well. Even better after that. Really looking forward to our conversation today uh, on worship. Yes, I am too. Our guest today is Ryan Kelly. He is Associate Professor of Music at Westchester University, which is in Pennsylvania. It's a sort of suburb of Philadelphia. And he also is director of music at Proclamation Presbyterian Church in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, near suburb of Philadelphia, PCA congregation there. So Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited. We are here to talk primarily about a a new book that was just published entitled Calls to Worship, Invocations, and Benedictions, a very descriptive title uh, in which you lay out some of the things that you have developed in your years as a, a director of music and your years in church music. And I wanted to just get a little bit of the backstory here. Is there more to it than that? What was it that that coalesced in your thinking that made you want to publish these calls to worship invocations and benedictions? So it was a it was a kind of a twofold process at first. It was the culmination of work that I had done uh, for my church uh, in in researching and selecting primarily calls to worship. And over the course of the years, I kept track of all of those and organized them. And I was able personally to go back and say, what did I what did I select back in Advent of of 2012? Uh, What did I what did I select back in uh, Easter for 2015? And and as those accumulated over the course of time, I found it to be a good uh, good resource for myself uh, that I realized Wow, this might be useful to, to someone else, and so that was that was the first catalyst, uh, wanting to offer uh, a resource to other worship leaders, those who who plan worship, for them to use and to to help them not only to give them a uh, a treasury, if you will, of of these, but also to assist them uh, organizationally to help them find these uh, calls to worship and, and benedictions faster. And the other catalyst was I wanted to offer uh, some historical background to these elements, and um, and that took a little bit of work, a little bit of research. Uh, it's it's easy to find long discourses on on preaching and on singing and even on confessions. Um, but when it comes to some of these smaller little things, you have to really hunt for, for some small comments in people's work or in the case of 
often old dissertation material uh, from, from way back. So I wanted to offer that and to give a little perspective on the implementation, particularly in the Reformed tradition, but uh, not exclusively there, um, so that there could maybe be a broader perspective on how these have been implemented over the course of the last several centuries, both uh, throughout Europe and the United States. So we want to talk a little bit about the the background you give to each of these elements because both James and I found that really beneficial and and the parallel that that immediately occurred to us was the work of of Hughes Oliphant Old, but but before we get into that into those details, I want to take a step back. There there I'm sure is a significant segment of our listenership who uh, is saying they're saying to themselves something like, well well isn't is this level of preparation actually necessary or is it sort of counter to the spirit of of public worship and i wonder if you could just at, at, a, at the broadest possible level speak to that question why should we prepare calls to worship invocations and benedictions in our labors in the church at all so there's in a broad broad perspective there are so many um, so many ways in which uh, the saints of God are discipled over the course of their of their lives, and each worship service, uh, in addition to them meeting with God and offering Him their worship, those who are entrusted with the leadership of those services each week are, in some ways, uh, discipling those worshipers toward uh, more fervent worship of the Lord. And so by thoughtfully looking at these, at these elements, um, there is the opportunity to, to take the opportunity to uh, press into the saints and their understanding and their perspective uh, and their expectation of what's going to come in the service later in, in the case of the, the calls to the worship and, and invocation. Um, so oftentimes we as worship leaders can look in some ways a, a silo mentality. Hey, we're going to, we're going to look at the sermon. We're going to look at the confession. Um, what have we, uh, have we done the Nicene Creed uh, this month yet? If not, well, we're, we're just going to do it this week. Um, some might go a little bit deeper and, and think more thematically about the service as a whole, or take a look at what the uh, focus of the sermon is going to be, and and then let that influence the other parts of the service uh, early on. Um, and and as worship leaders, we have the opportunity, especially early in the service, to shape that service so that our worshipers' anticipation and reception to the word preached is aided. Um, so I would say that that's one of the one reason that that thoughtful preparation like this can can help the worshiper. Ryan, I wanted to press a little more into a kind of granular level here and really get at not materially in common. These are elements of worship, but what is the formal distinction, if I can put it that way, between a call to worship on the one hand, an invocation or a benediction? Because uh, I think sometimes these elements just sort of almost merge in the mind of the worship leader, whether that's a minister of music or the pastor of the church. And so often uh, an invocation is substituted for a call to worship, and then a call to worship hasn't really happened. So if you could help us get into some of the formal distinctions between these elements, what makes a call to worship a call to worship and not an invocation or a benediction or something like that? Sure. Well, one of the one of the main thrusts of the 
introductory material for the book is to highlight that as um, the Reformed tradition has spread across the globe, um, so have perspectives on these on these items. And we can have uh, faithful leaders across denominations uh, disagree over the necessity of one or the other. And so um, with that caveat kind of out there to begin with, um, the, the distinction between the call to worship and uh, the invocation has to do with not only its function, but also its historical implementation in Protestant worship. The call to worship being one in which the minister, uh, as as vested by uh, vested authority in him by the Lord, um, calls the people to assemble um, and or to to bring their worship uh, to meet with the Lord. The calls to worship become more and more prevalent after the Westminster Assembly. This is um, not something that you see as a, as a mandated part of worship um, really very often before that, uh, nor, is it man- nor is it mandated, if you will, in the directory of, of worship. But uh, that call to worship requiring some sort of exhortive or uh, imperative language that instructs the people that this is a requirement, this is a duty to come before the Lord and to execute acts of worship. That might be prayer, that might be singing, that might be some hearing, um, that might be confession. The invocation historically is a prayer uh, offered by the minister uh, petitioning the Holy Spirit's presence, assistance, grace, mercy uh, on the congregation. Uh, so there are two, two different things. One is one in which the minister um, functions as a representative of the Lord to call the people, and one in which the minister is um, petitioning the Lord uh, to, meet with, to meet with his people. So uh, two very different things. And, and another thing that oftentimes gets, gets uh, uh, added in there is a prayer of adoration um, that ought not to be confused with the either of the other two, right? So the invocation is something even distinct from the invocation you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always like to say it, it for the call to worship, um, hortatory mood, second person plural, let us usually helps <laughs> something yeah. yeah something like that where there's a real exhortation to el- elicit a response from the people as they enter in correct yes and oftentimes oftentimes what ends up happening without without thoughtfulness um, is that scripture passages uh, tend to be used as introductory material for services um, because they might be thematically appropriate. They might um, uh, comment on what the, what the minister is preparing to preach on later, but they really don't, uh, they don't have any sort of uh, imperative or, or exhortive language in them. And so you give some suggestions though, on how to kind of, how to kind of bridge that. Right, adding adding uh, adding something simple to the end of of a passage, even as simple as uh, let us let us meditate on this and and bring the Lord our worship. I guess then getting into some of the specific one examples of these that you include, would you anticipate the reader of this sort of cutting and pasting these, or in your mind was it more of a prompt? Uh, to to show show your work and um, and 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 therefore, in a sense, yeah, try try to get others who have this responsibility to think along those lines. 
A little bit of both. I mean, as a, uh, in, in some ways, part of my, my background as a professor of music is to encourage um, my students uh, to think critically and to do this work for themselves, to teach them uh, the foundations for, for the, the good product that they hope to, hope to achieve. So in a similar way, I hope that it would encourage uh, the worship leaders to think about how they could do this themselves, um, but also the volume of the book and its and its size uh, really goes from Genesis to Revelation. And the desire was to uh, offer offer a depth that would be beyond what could be used an entire year. Uh, so one would not necessarily need to to create any um, if they didn't want to. Now, as, as you went through and compiled these, if, if someone were coming along and doing a, a, a scholarly analysis of Ryan Kelly's development in uh, leading the people of God in worship or, or contributing to that end, the minister, the minister would often be the one leading here. Um, what, what things can you see in your own development? Where, are, there, are there ways in which you've... Uh, deepened in your understanding of each of these elements or perhaps incorporated sections of scripture that in 2012 you you wouldn't have thought to incorporate in this fashion in the context of public worship? That's a, a good question. One of my goals and one of the areas I, I would say that I did develop is certainly branching beyond the Psalms. Um, that is a great place to start for calls to worship and as the uh, kind of a explanation, calls to worship is where this volume began. It didn't begin with invocations. It began with calls to worship. Uh, and the Psalms uh, are, are a great easy way to begin uh, because there are so many times in which the psalmist um, begins a verse with uh, some sort of command or exhortation. Praise the Lord, lift up your voice to the Lord or something like that. Then there were other psalms that all of a sudden I started to see. Well, this is this is David or another psalmist um, writing about himself. And if if we don't think about uh, the opportunity to change the personification of this and make it applicable to an assembly, we're missing out on some really um, great scripture that could be useful for our congregation's worship. The New Testament was an area that I wanted to uh, explore uh, because um, there are quite a rich number of, of passages that uh, would easily fit into these into these areas, um, and then and then early passages in the Old Testament. There are some really great spots in Isaiah and spots in, in um, Second Chronicles uh, that are 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 really wonderful. So in the, in the development of this, I think the, the calls to worship um, were the easier ones to start with. Um, invocations were perhaps the area for biggest, uh, for the biggest growth for me, as I was looking at this, approaching this volume. Um, and that was what types of uh, prayers for the Lord's assistance um, rooted in the scriptures uh, could be, could be found and, and how could those be easily transformed into, um, into a prayer 
that's short at the beginning of the service. Sometimes our invocation prayers uh, don't actually invoke uh, the Lord as much as they are prayers of adoration, as we talked earlier, but also they can sometimes go so long after the call to worship that the congregation doesn't have the opportunity to respond as, as they might uh, quickly uh, to that call. So trying to make those a little bit on the shorter side. Ryan, we're near the end of our time, but I wanted to just touch briefly before we finish that third element of benediction. And you give some you give some direction on this as well. Maybe what distinguishes the benediction? Um, how is that different than simply a closing prayer? Uh, and what does it what does it look like? Uh, and what is its particular place in the worship service? Well, very often the benediction is the close of a worship service. It is the time at which the presiding pastor pronounces God's blessing on his people as they depart. There is quite a bit of history and practice of combining benedictions with dismissals and conflating the two or, or, or combining the two. So, uh, uh, but that is part of our tradition. There is a quite a bit of debate, uh, as, as I mentioned in the book briefly, over whether or not it is a prayer or a pronouncement. And uh, there, there are good men who believe both. Uh, and so without uh, delving into that too deeply, um, the beginnings of, of this are, I was looking for um, statements of God's blessing that were not necessarily overt blessings in scripture. What I mean by that is that uh, the Lord has promised Lord bless you and keep you his face shine upon you. That's an obvious blessing, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when it's when uh, Psalm 23 closes with surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is the Lord's blessing. This is the Lord's promise. Um, and yet it isn't a it isn't a benediction, not in the way that it's uh, uh, written. Uh, in the Psalms. And so recognizing some of those promises of the Lord and offering um, a perspective on how to, to shape this into a benediction that communicates that blessing to the congregation at the close of the service. That's very helpful because otherwise we're, we tend to be reduced to a handful of favorites. But I'm, I appreciated that section of your book where you show how promises can be with very, with very slight adjustment transformed into a statement of benediction for the people. Yeah. And the, the question of a slight adjustment is one of the things that uh, comes up in a lot of our conversations. Is that, a, is that appropriate? Are we, are we tinkering with the scriptures? And I think it, it would be appropriate to notice that we are not talking about elements of the service where we are, we are considering them the public reading of the word, right? So, so if we were talking about the public reading of the word, we would not be making, we would not be making those adjustments. It just has to stand as written. Yeah, of course. Um, but these, these are not, we're using the scriptures as a way to, to saturate our worship um, with it. Um, and in a way that in a similar way that it, to, to Jonathan's question early on, the spirit of spontaneity and some uh, and extemporaneous prayers, uh, is there room for the pastor and the worship leader uh, to, to pray in a non-scripted way? And of course, of course there is. And, and so this is a, somewhat of a, a bridging of those two areas and, and approaches. 
Ryan, thank you for your time with us. I wish we had more time to discuss these things. This is a really rich resource uh, that we want to familiarize our listeners with. And so thank you for the, the time you've put in really over many, many years uh, that, that, that's led to this. And, uh, and thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. James, both you and I were remarking before we um, actually had Ryan on the line that we both benefited from Hughes Oliphant Old's Leading in Prayer volume, where he seeks to uh, pull together a number of uh, similar types of elements of, of the service. But I think there, there are things this brings that that volume does not. And, and certainly the not, not just the examples, but the, the discussions that he gives to each of these elements, calls to worship, invocations, and benedictions. I think those are very, very helpful. We can become um, acquainted with one stream of Reformed worship, and he really does a nice job of uh, describing some of the the varied insights of, of many throughout uh, Protestant history. This book is going to help pastors in shaping a worship service in its particular elements that are more biblical and varied. Uh, each of us can very easily, you know, there's, a, there's those stock, for, stock biblical phrases that are the most familiar that we fall back on, and we can tend to kind of get ourselves in a rut. Uh, and it's a good rut. It's a biblical rut, but it, it could be a, it could be a wider rut. <laughs> it could have more, yeah. there could be yeah. more varied scriptures. And I think Ryan has done a great job, not just showing us or suggesting you asked earlier, uh, when we were talking with him, whether, uh, ministers should cut and paste. I wanted to jump in right there and say, um, don't be ashamed to do that, that, <laughs> you know, in the interest of not growing indigent and, and doing your own work at the same time, this is a, this is a resource that is going to benefit pastors and congregations. And I just wanted to say, I, I would strongly encourage any pastor, anyone responsible with the shaping of the elements of the worship service for God's people to avail themselves of this work. It's, it's uh, inexpensive. It's handy. It is, uh, it is a rich resource uh, for those distinct elements. And I also think he does a nice job in his introduction, sort of laying out the formal distinctions uh, between these elements of worship and the function that they have uh, in the service of worship. So I'm, I, I was really enthusiastic about this book. As soon as I opened it, I realized this this was a resource. I, I've used Hughes Olive and Old. I would recommend that to our listeners mm-hmm. as well. Um, not instead of, but alongside of this. But again, this is a book I, I wish I'd had at an earlier time in, in my uh, preaching and teaching career. But uh, here it is now. So listeners can enjoy it and benefit from it. And we would, and we would commend that to our listeners. Uh, You know, it should also be noted, you kind of alluded to this. The format is very nice. It's nicely produced. So PNR, our friends at PNR did an excellent job with this. And uh, we we thank them for their labors and putting this together. Um, So if you are interested in uh, the possibility of winning a copy of these, we have a few to give away. You can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, enter your information there, and uh, we will be giving uh, a few of these away to those who do that. Uh, also, if you're able to donate to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can do that at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. Both of those websites have donate buttons on them. Please pass along this episode or other episodes of Theology on the Go to people who might benefit from it. We love hearing from listeners. And so if you have uh, ideas for 
uh, people for us to interview or topics for us to consider, please pass those along. And uh, as always, we thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Identity. It's a word we hear quite often these days. Seems like people are having a harder time than ever figuring out just who they are. Could they be searching in the wrong places? Author Jonathan Landry Cruz offers a fresh and truly radical answer to the important question of who you are in his new book, The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ. If you're seeking your identity in relationships, career, gender expression, or some other circumstances, then this book is for you. In his always winsome way, Jonathan shows you what the Bible has to say about everything you need for a lasting, fulfilling identity, one that is found outside of you and in Christ. The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ, from Reformation Heritage Books, Glorifying God and Strengthening His Church. Visit heritagebooks.org. That's heritagebooks.org.